Well, again, we find ourselves in the study of God's Word regarding um, relationships and romance. And many of you have said, when are we going to get to the relationships and the romance? Uh, we'll get there. But I think what we have to do first is to lay the ground really level and who we need to be before we start looking for who we want to find. And we've been looking in particular in the book of Titus chapter 2. I would invite you to turn there. At the reality and recognition of a righteous woman. Now those two terms are very important. The reality means that's who you should be, women. The recognition means this is the kind of woman we should find and look for, men. G.K. Chesterton wrote, Around the family do indeed gather all the sanctities that separate men from ants and bees. In the practical proportions of human history, we come back to that fundamental of the father and the mother and the child, end quote. I must admit to you, for the last two months, I've been kind of wading around in the sewage of feminism, reading what they have to say, looking on the Internet at what they claim to believe and their agenda, because that's really the contrast to the ultimate biblical woman. And if you'll indulge me just for a minute, I want to kind of share with you some of the things I've found that are, that are very startling and quite alarming, and I think as we do that, we'll find out why looking at a biblical woman is in such stark contrast to the Bible. Attacks on the Christian family unit, its values are more common and more vicious today in our society than in any other time in the history of our country. Now, let me be quick to add that around the world you'll find women uh, treated far worse than in our country and in our society. You can find worse situations, but frankly, we don't live there. We live here, and so we need to deal with what's going on in the idea of the ultimate woman or a desirable woman or a woman to become here in America. The majority of feminists are, to say the least, hostile toward the biblical concept of a family. In November of 1971, the Declaration of Feminism came out. Let me read you a little bit of their, their uh, manifest. It says this, quote, "...marriage has existed for the benefit of men." and has been a legally sanctioned method of control over women. We must work to destroy it. The end of the institution of marriage is a, necess is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. Therefore, it's important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not to live individually with men. All of history must be rewritten in terms of oppression of women. We must go back to the ancient female religions like witchcraft. End quote. Another feminine, uh, I almost said femininity. There's a difference between femininity and feminism. Another feminazi writer says this. <laughs> the traditional family, with all of its supposed attributes, enslaved women. It reduced her to a breeder and a caretaker of children, a servant to her spouse, a cleaning lady, and at times a victim of the labor market as well. End quote. One writer, another one, says this. Paul Kurtz says, Humanism and feminists are inextricably interwoven. And humanist Annie Laurie Gaylor adds this. Let's forget about the mythical Jesus and look for the encouragement, solace, and inspiration from real women. Two thousand years of patriarchal rule under the shadow of the cross ought to be enough to turn women toward the feminist salvation of this world. End quote. Why is there such... A hatred by these people, by these women, for the biblical concept of a woman. Well, 
Phyllis Shafley says this, the ideology of the women's liberation movement teaches a woman to rank her own self-fulfillment above every other value, including solemn promises, husband, and children, end quote. Now, not only is this a flagrant distortion of priorities pushed on women by uh, what we could call relativistic worldviews, but it also misleads women by making them think that they're going to find more self-fulfillment outside of marriage and child-rearing. And what's really sad about that, and I've seen it and experienced it in some of my own friendships, is that many of these women don't discover that they've been deceived until they're long past the child-bearing years. Girls, you're at the crossroads of decision on who you're going to be, not as a Christian necessarily, although that's important, not as a, uh, a, a person pursuing a career or whatever, but who you're going to be as a biblical woman. In the midst of all this confusion with the feminazis running around claiming the, the highest money and the, the most aggressive agenda in Washington, in the midst of all sorts of shows coming out demeaning women and their role in terms of biblical tradition, God speaks and the Bible is open. Let me say very clearly that God has never had, nor will He ever have, a speech impediment. He doesn't have trouble saying what He thinks. He's laid it out for us very clearly in 66 books of the Bible. And He doesn't have any difficulty describing what He believes, not what He believes, what He mandates for a biblical woman, for what He created a woman to be and to do and to think and how to behave. And we find one of these critical texts here in Titus chapter 2. And for this time, we're going to spend a whole time together just on one of the characteristics. Now, many of you have asked, especially a girl or two has asked me, why are you spending so much more time on the women than the men? I got a good answer. Paul did. There's far more in Titus regarding young women than any other group in the whole book. He speaks more about young women than the elders, more than the young women uh, uh, than the uh, uh, more about the younger women than the younger men, and more about the young women than the older men and older women. It's of paramount importance to Paul that we understand who women are to be. So I think it's worth our time to kind of stop and, and gander as um, Paul lays this out for us. Well, just a little review, just so you can kind of uh, pick up where we are. We've we've looked at some qualities of a righteous woman to realize and recognize from this text, right? These are qualities of a woman to realize and recognize. And we found a few so far. First of all, we looked at a depth of discipleship. Remember, the context is older women importing biblical truth and biblical modeling into younger women. And we've said that a woman ought to be in a discipleship relationship with someone older than she is. Someone who's uh, more experienced in the, the ways of mothering and being a wife and experiencing the world than she is so that we can pass down the wonderful, rich tradition of the godly generation from one generation to the next. A second quality we found is a love of liking. Paul tells them, the young women right there in chapter 2, verse 4, to be, that the older women are to encourage the young women to love their husbands. And that word love, we noted, is phileo. It means learn to have affection, learn to like your husband, learn to enjoy him. It's a love of liking. Thirdly, we found that same love word used uh, in reference to children. They're to love their children. A care for children she's to have, in other words. A woman ought to have a care for children. And you say, Rick, well, what if I never have children? Well, you have a wonderful opportunity to disciple younger women, no matter what the age, as is in the context of this passage. 
You ought to have a care for children. Paul says a young woman aspiring to be an older woman who is godly has a depth of discipleship, a love of liking, a care for children. Fourthly, we looked at, she's sensible. In other words, she has a cultivation of control. She has self-control in her passion, self-control in her thinking, in her activities, in her tasks. She's a sensible woman. She does what makes sense. Remember Proverbs 11:22, As a ring of gold and a swine snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion or sensibility or control. We noted that it's far more important for the young women today to build a character of godliness than it is to go down to Nordstrom's and shop there or the rack where I go or Ross or TJ Maxx or the Salvation Army store or wherever. Fifthly, we said that she's to have a passion for purity. This comes out of that word pure there. Paul says she's to be pure. Passion for purity. She longs to be pure. Pure in thinking, pure in dressing and modesty, pure in acting and behaving, pure on dates, pure with her sexual standards and behavior before and during marriage. Well, that's been a great study. And frankly, though there may be many feminists who would look at that and many of the, much of the world that's influenced by, influenced by that agenda to look at that and say, we have moral objections to that. When we get to this next little phrase, that's where it explodes. And frankly, this one passage in this one verse in verse 5, in this one little tiny phrase, is the bullseye for the feminist agenda, and it's the bullseye, I think, for most women in this world who are anti-God, anti-Bible. And it's in that little phrase, Paul says, encourage the older women to teach the younger women to be workers at home. We're going to call that a heart for home. A godly woman ought to have a heart for home. The simple little phrase, as I said, is the bullseye in the Bible for the modern feminist movement. And it's important that we take a critical look at it and unpack what it means and what it doesn't mean. It's a critical portion of Scripture to understand. And I want to ask you and beg you, don't leave this gym without the commitment that you want to learn and understand all the Bible has to say about this subject. Not just as a woman, but men, as we'll see in a few minutes. It's critical, it's vital, it's of ultimate importance that you understand what this has to do with. This has become, by way of a, 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 a introduction, uh, a significant part of the weddings I do. I challenge the man that he is to protect his wife in being a worker at home at all costs. What does it mean? Let's kind of ask some questions and let the text bleed a little bit. First, what it means to be a worker at home. What it means to be a worker at home. Let's unpack it a little bit. It's two Greek words. Oikos and Aragon. Oikos just means dwelling, a house, a home, a household. It's a place you live. Aragon means to work, to be employed. And if you put the two together, it literally means to be employed or to work at home. To be a keeper of the home, in other words. This is not the only place that women are exhorted to have this. If you'll flip back over a few pages... To 1 Timothy chapter 5, I want you to see this. In Paul's instruction concerning widows, both young and old, he brings up the same issue. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 13. At the same time, they also, 
learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, uh, talking about things that are not proper to mention. Therefore, verse 14, I urge that the younger widows get married and bear children. Here it is again, same phrase. And be workers at home or keep the house. Give the enemy no occasion for reproach. That little phrase, by the way, is very similar to the word of God not being dishonored here in chapter, back in Titus 2 and verse 5. The enemy can have a foothold and the word of God can be dishonored if we're not implementing the sound doctrine, chapter 2, verse 1 of Titus. And one of the sound doctrine principles that he's exhorting us to do and to know and to be is for the women to be workers at home. This concept is fully in keeping with the first two characteristics that he told us about loving our husbands and loving our children's children. Let's try that whole thing again about you loving husbands and you loving children as a woman. And it's really a kind of a picture or a snapshot of the video of Proverbs 31. Now, turn back to Proverbs 31. I, I just want to show you this very briefly. We could spend our whole time here. I don't want to do that. I want to save that for your study. By the way, uh, uh, some of the girls at West Valley, uh, I know April and Jane, put together some wonderful uh, material on Proverbs 31. If you want to get a hold of that from them, I found it very, very um, encouraging. While you're turning there also, can I recommend another book to you, girls, uh, that I've been reading uh, in the last two weeks called The Excellent Wife by Martha Peace. Wonderful book that lays out these concepts in a very easy-to-follow to format. Proverbs chapter 31. Um, I find Proverbs 31 interesting for a lot of reasons, the first of which is it wasn't written by Solomon. As you know, chapter 30 and chapter 31 were written by two other uh, leaders in Israel. Um, and that makes perfect sense to me because Solomon had a little trouble in this area, if you'll remember back to our study in Ecclesiastes. But in Proverbs 31, it's laid out an excellent wife. Verse 10, let me just read that and make some comments. And again, this is worth a whole sermon in and of itself. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above the jewels. And I would say amen and amen in finding my own wife. The heart of her husband trusts her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. The warranty never expires on a wife. She's there all the days. She doesn't get older and you just trade her in on a new model. That's the model of our world, isn't it? She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like merchant ships. She brings food from afar. She rises also while it's still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. That means she stays up light, late working. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hands to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. She's prepared. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. You know what? I love that. She looks great. It's not this picture of some barefoot and pregnant lady stuck in a house and uh, sweating and, and you can't ever... Uh, uh, she doesn't look good at all. This excellent wife looks excellent. Her husband is known in the gates. By the way, you know why he's known? Not because he's a famous guy. You know why he's known? 
because he has a great wife. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them, supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Verse 27, underline it, highlight it. This is the jewel of the whole passage. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of laziness or idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Then I love this. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. Those will come and go. They can come and go. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. You know, someone asked me a few weeks ago, they said, Rick, you always talk about your wife. Does that embarrass her? Yeah. Does she like it? No. She hates it. I get in trouble every time I brag on her. Big time trouble. But you know what I get to do? I get to do Proverbs 31. I have a great wife. I've told you, I love my wife. I adore my wife. In fact, I want you to ask him if I talk to her like this at times other than in a big group. I just go around. Last night I was just saying, you're You're incredible. You are, you're phenomenal. You're awesome. I love you. You're, she's, she's pregnant right now. She's got all this stuff going on, and she still takes care of all of us. I'm just amazed. She is Wonder Woman. Not the cartoon. She's my Wonder Woman. I love her. I adore her. And I get a chance to praise her. And you know what? If you get to know the Holland family very much, you'll, you'll probably think, well, Rick's the guy who speaks. He's all right. Big deal. If you come over and spend time at our house, you'll leave saying, why did she choose him? <laughs> she could have scored far higher on the husband exam than that guy. Can I tell you something just about Proverbs 31? I don't want to exposit it, just to say this. Out of 21 verses about her, nine of those verses are directly referenced to her work at home. Does she work outside the home? Nope. She works from the home and her work extends outside. She's, work, she's making money. She's doing investments. She's doing these deals. The big deal, though, is not that she's doing that. It's that she's covering all the bases at home. And she's not eating from the, uh, the bread of laziness or idleness, so she has plenty of time to do these other things. What does a homemaker do? What does a homemaker do all the time? Well, let me read you some things that she is and does. She's a baby feeder, a changer, a bather, a burper, a hugger, a listener to crying, fussing, and thousands of questions. She's a picker-upper of food and debris cast about on the floor. She's a comforter, encourager, counselor. She's a linguistic expert for two-year-old dialects. She's a listener to a husband and children about their day, their needs, their concerns, their aspirations. She's a teacher of everything from how to chew food to how to drive a car. She's a laundry maintenance engineer, an ironer of wrinkles. She's an assistant on school projects, a censor of TV, movies, and books. She's a reader of thousands of children's books. She's a cheerleader and a chauffeur. She's a planner and a hostess of children's birthday parties, dinner parties, and holidays. By the way, I, I am the world's worst. I'll come home at 5 o'clock on, on Monday night. Honey, um, uh, Jane, and, Jane and Dan are coming over for dinner. And she'll go, Really? 
When did you know that? Uh, Dan and I were talking this morning. What time? Uh, about and then I, I realized, you know, about 10 o'clock. So you've had seven hours. Okay, she makes it work. Organizer of the kitchen. She organizes the living room, the bathrooms, the chores, the routine, the division of labor. She's the central control for getting appliances fixed, the carpet shampooed. She's the executioner of ants, roaches, wasps, and other pests. <laughs> She's the resident historian in charge of photo albums, baby books, and school record books. She's the resident correspondence to relatives and old family friends, the defroster of the freezer, and uh, food preservation expert. She's the keeper and locator of all valuable things and documents. Why was it when I lose something, I ask her, and why can't she find it? My, my, my wife's sending me to the eye doctor soon. She's the keeper of... Uh, I just read that. She's the appointment desk of the family's visits to the doctor, dentist, orthodontist, barber, and mechanic. She's the cleaner of the oven, the drawers, the closets, the garage, the curtains, the windows, and even the walls. She's the refinisher of furniture and interior decorator. She's the emergency and medical technician and ambulance driver. She's the resident dietitian and chef. She's the accountant and financial advisor. She's the fashion consultant and buyer. She's a seamstress. She's her husband's best friend, confidant, and romantic focus. There's a lot to do in being a worker at home. The average housewife will spend 99.6 hours of each week working on behalf of her home, house, and family. 99 hours a week. So the next time you complain about clocking in and clocking out, remember that. In her lifetime, she'll spend, uh, she'll cook rather, 35,000 meals. She'll make about 40,000 beds. She'll vacuum a rug a square mile. She'll clean 21,000 plumbing fixtures. You know, my wife's going to ask her a raise after all this. You realize that? That's what it means to be a worker at home. She works at home. God has given it to women to keep the house. That's not demeaning, ladies. That's wonderful. Why? Because you get to shepherd your children and, dare I say, shepherd your husband. You say, what do you mean by that, Rick? If the home is in disarray, then you have a shepherding influence on your husband. If the home is well kept... You have a wonderful shepherding influence on your husband. Well, let's get a little more fine-tuned. What does it not mean to be a worker at home? Let me anticipate some of your questions. What does it not mean to be a worker at home? First of all, it doesn't mean you should not pursue your education, girls. If you have an aspiration to be a worker at home, if you think you might be a worker at home, a wife, a mom someday, that doesn't mean you should drop out of school and just you know, hang out at the back of the, of the gym and just say, here I am, available. There's no ring on my finger. Hi, guys. I'm a worker at home potential. Hello. I think you ought to pursue your education to the fullest. I would love to see what some people call overeducated moms, but you know what? There's no such thing as an overeducated mom. None. I told you a few weeks ago about my son. I'm going to tell you again. This is what kind of questions my wife deals with all the time. By the way, I had a Friday. My wife went off to a seminar for a whole day, and I got the blessed privilege of being with my precious little depraved sons all day. 
Okay? I did everything. I put stuff in and I dealt with the consequences when it came out. I did the whole thing all day. And when she came home, I just hugged her and said, I love my job. I hope you love yours. She wakes up all the time telling me how much she loves, loves her job. Um, is there such thing as an overeducated mom? Absolutely not. Luke asked me the other day, I told you guys, didn't I, about the omnipresence of God? I'm trying to teach him some attributes. You know, I'm a seminary graduate. I've been ordained. I'm a pastor and elder. I should know. I should have a clue about God. And then he asked me this. Dad, is God everywhere? Yes, he is. Feeling pretty good about myself. Spouting theology to me. Yes, he is. We were eating ice cream at the time. He never looks at me. He's just eating. He goes, Daddy, is God in this ice cream? Now remember, I'm a theologian. I should know the answer to that. And I just said, kind of. He takes a few more bites and then he says, so am I eating God? I said, oh, he's not in the ice cream. Forget that. He's not there. We'll deal with this later. He, he's, he's a lot of places, just not there, okay? Just stop that. Kim has these kind of questions all the time. As I said, she's seven months pregnant. Luke comes up to her, knows there's a baby in there, grabs her mouth, opens it, and says, Hi, baby! So to say that you don't need an education, ladies, is an understatement. Let me tell you this, though. It might influence what you're going to major in. It might definitely influence what you would want to do. It might influence the student loans you want to get. It might influence a lot of things regarding that, and that's for individual discipleship with someone older who can help you work through those issues. I know a woman who lives down in Pasadena who is... a just about to graduate uh, with a law degree. You know what she wants to be? A mom. And I said, well, why, are you, why would you be doing all this? She says, I'd just be a sharper mom. Well, why are you... It? I was interested in it. Those children are going to grow up with a value system of learning and believing and reading. So it doesn't mean if you're going to be a worker at home that you should not be educated or you should drop out of school. Also, doesn't mean that you can't have some source of income based out of your house someday. Now, I want to qualify this even further in a minute, so just hold on to that. Doesn't mean that a worker at home does not work, right? We just proved that. And it does not mean that a single woman, or excuse me, let's say it this way, it doesn't mean that a woman can never work outside the home. Listen very carefully, ladies. It doesn't mean that a woman can never work outside the home. There are lots of situations which she can. Um, a single woman, I don't think there's a big problem with her working outside the home because her working at home doesn't influence anything except herself. Maybe her roommates. What about married without children? My wife worked as a secretary when we were married without children until we had kids. What if your children are grown or you're working at the place your children are, you can ask all those questions. You know what? That's the wrong question. The question isn't, can you work outside the home? Here's the question, ladies. Are you being all that God wants you to be as a worker in the home? If you are, do whatever, time, do whatever you want to in the time left over. 
But I promise you this. If you're a biblical worker at home, there's not going to be a lot of time left over. And you add a husband, there's going to be less time. You add kids, there's going to be far less time. And for every little rascal the Lord gives you, the time is going to be less and less. It doesn't mean that you can never work outside the home. Did you hear me say that? Please understand that. What if your husband's in school and you're working? I understand that. There are situations. The issue, girls, you know what the issue is? It's your heart. It's your heart. Is home your domain? Is that the, the ultimate desire of your heart and life? What are some reasons that women work outside the home? Let's go a little, little deeper. What are some reasons that women work outside the home? When women remove themselves from the sphere that God's designed for them, they become subject to an environment fraught with difficulty. Two women warn of this potential danger. Karen Lineman and Linda Holland, no relationship to me, by the way, have said this. Quote, statistics show significantly more, uh, statistics show significantly more working women than stay-at-home moms become involved in extramarital affairs. Isn't that interesting? Very few, in fact, stay-at-home moms get involved in extramarital affairs. Why are we so vulnerable? One reason is simple. Exposure. Another factor is professional intimacy. And then there's the emotional needs we have. Remember, this is a woman speaking. If we're married to men who don't appreciate our professional interest or our contributions we may find ourselves attracted to the men at work who do. If we feel overwhelmed by the incredible responsibilities at home and at work, we may be all the more ready to exchange our grown-up burdens for the kind of romantic rush and blush we felt when we were 16. Men and women in the workplace also invest the best hours of their day on the job. We are at our wittiest and our prettiest. End quote. It's true, isn't it? It's true. Did you know that women working in the workforce is a fairly recent occurrence in the history of the world. Even go back to my grandfather. There was the men's world at work, and the women worked at home. Home wasn't a jail. They loved it. This whole thing began to switch again back in the 60s when this feminist agenda began to tell women that you're not who you could be because you're at home. Will you tell those precious little eyes looking up and that, that are being left off at a daycare that you're going to pursue all you need to be? So why do women work outside the home? Why do they do it? Let me give you three reasons that women choose to work outside the home. First is financial. They choose financial reasons. Money is the best determiner of value. I believe that. Issues here include living above your means as a married woman. Um... You know what I find is that uh, the typical reason a woman goes to work is because, so they can afford to live. Well, if you afforded to live on your husband's salary, that may mean something, right? It may mean a less nice car. It may mean a, uh, moving from a house to an apartment. It may mean moving to a smaller house or to a smaller... It can mean a lot of things. But if a woman is working in the home, I'm primarily talking about someone who's married here, Okay only talking, rather, about someone who's married here, if she's choosing to work outside the home for financial reasons, then you're missing the point of 1 Timothy 5.8, which says that uh, a man is supposed to care for the needs of his family, and if he doesn't do that, he's worse than an unbeliever. God has called the men to be the breadwinners of the family. Does that mean a woman can't work? Did I say that earlier? No, that doesn't mean that. 
just means she tends to the things at home. That's her primary responsibility. She's also uh, financially neglecting her children. What do you mean financially neglecting her children? I know some women who work to have enough money to pay the daycare. I mean that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I have a cousin like that. I was talking to him recently, he and his wife, and she says, I said, well, why are you working? They live very comfortably, very beyond comfortable, okay? I said, why are you working? She says, well, I've got to work so we can pay the daycare. And I just went, what? So if she didn't work, she wouldn't have to pay the daycare and she'd be back at ground zero. Therefore, she's working for some other reason. This spills over into a second reason. Not only financial reasons, but personal fulfillment. Personal fulfillment. In other words, believing that there's more significance to be found in excelling in the workplace than there is at home. And that is just buying the culture's lies, ladies. That is buying the culture's lies that you are something less than human by being at home and taking care of a man and some children. That is a lie straight from the pit. Then there's, thirdly, peer pressure. Come on, Rick, everyone's doing it. All the women are working. It's, it's estimated that almost 70% of, of mothers work outside the home right now, and in the next 20 years, it's going to be approaching 90%. Everybody's going to be working. Not to mention women working to pay off debt. We'll come back to that in a minute. I think there's some things you can prevent from you having to, quote, unquote, having to work. Let's go a little deeper in even. What are some dangers, some dangers for women who work outside the home? Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, ladies, is just uh, give your pens a rest for a minute. I'm going to give you 11 dangers. I'm going to read this. I'm going to quote it. and I'm going to steal it right out of a man named Steve Canfield of Life Action Ministries. I couldn't improve on his list. It was so good. I just want to read you 11 reasons he has, um, 11 dangers, rather, for women working outside the home. You can get the tape later and kind of write them down if you want to. He says this, number one, working outside the home severely limits the time a wife can devote to her first priorities as a wife and mother. The old adage that quality time is better than quantity of time is simply not true when it comes to building a home. Being an effective wife and mother requires both quality and quantity time. A second danger, the woman who works for a man other than her husband finds herself having to please and obey two authorities. I think that's significant. Jesus said that no man can serve two masters. Thirdly, the working woman is motivated by money to please a man other than her husband. This is assuming, by the way, she has a a male boss. I know that because there's so many women in the workforce that that's a lot different for some. The woman is motivated by money to please a man other than her husband in areas of dress, attitudes, and services rendered. Fourthly, a working woman gives her best hours and energy to those outside of her family. Seldom are the leftover hours of energy, hours and energy rather, sufficient to adequately meet the needs of her family. Fifthly, another danger, when a woman is working to provide for the basic needs of the family, the husband does not have the security of being the provider that God intended for him to be. Remember 1 Timothy 5.8, God has called a man to be the provider. Number six, a woman is successful, if a woman is successful in her career, a competitive spirit can develop between her and her husband. She may become insecure and feel that uh, his wife is no longer respecting or looking up to him. Seventhly, 
Having a career of her own engages, encourages rather a woman to develop an independent spirit that undermines the oneness of marriage. She may begin to think of the income she receives as mine and will invariably feel greater freedom to make decisions independently of her husband. Number eight, financial independence opens a woman up for the option of leaving her husband. At any time, the pressure gets too great in the marriage. One wife who had experienced great difficulty in her marriage shared, quote, I just lost my job. I couldn't leave my husband, so we had to work out our problems, end quote. One particular sobering study reveals, listen to this, that for every $1,000 a woman earns outside the home, her chances of divorce are increased by 2%. That's not the Word of God authority, but it's very interesting. Number nine, increased rebellion and promiscuity are commonly found among children who are left unattended after school. God's Word told us over a thousand years ago that this would be the case. Proverbs 29:15. A child left to himself brings his mother to shame. Number 10. The wife who works outside the home often develops expectations for her husband to be her helper in fulfilling the daily household responsibilities, thus reversing her created role to be a helper to her husband. Number 11. Last danger here that he lists. The woman who works outside of the home, away from the protection of her husband, is left physically, emotionally, and spiritually vulnerable. There is greater chance of her being exposed to physical danger or to morally compromising situations. Now, some of those may be a little overstated. Some of those may be a little understated. But I think you get some of the uh, movement in his thoughts about the dangers of women working outside the home. Let's get more specific, can we? Implications for young women. All right, that's great, Rick. Where does it land for me as a younger woman? Can I give you some implications on this, ladies? Just some gut-level sense. First of all, right now, control your spending and your debt. Control your spending and your debt. One of the major reasons that women continue to work when there's a marriage, continue to work when there's children and more children and more children is because they're trying to take care of debt that they walk into marriage with. Control your spending and your debt now. As we said before, become as educated as you can. Even if you don't end up in a, a career or that career, continue to pursue your education. That's wonderful. You're just sharpening your own thinking to, to make yourself sharper for raising children and being a helper to your husband. Can I give you another one? Learn as many housekeeping skills as you can now, girls. Learn as many housekeeping skills as you can now. This puts us back to the discipleship. Find some older women. Go over and say, hey, I want to help you clean house, but not just help you clean. I want to know some of the little tricks you've learned. Now, if you break a glass, you can take, I learned this, you can take a, a damp towel and it picks up the shards. I wouldn't have known that. Get around someone who can teach you little skills that will help you be way ahead. How about another one? Don't allow your job, if you're working now, to become your life. Don't allow your job to become your life, girls. I hope you're dissatisfied. I hope there's a longing in your heart that says, you know what, this is okay, but I want to be a mom. I want to be a wife. Can I say this, though, having just said that? Do your job excellently. 
your boss comes by seeing you daydreaming, I'm just thinking about being a mom and a wife someday. It's going to be wonderful not to work for you anymore. (laughs) Working excellently at work will produce habits of faithfulness that will spill over into your family even later. Colossians says, Do your work heartily as unto who? The Lord. That obedience to God in your work will spill over into washing the dishes for God. You know what my wife does sometimes? Not sometimes. You know what my wife does every day? Please don't, please don't perceive me being irreverent. My wife changes dirty diapers for Jesus. Who's she pleasing? Johnny? He doesn't want that to happen. He'd rather keep it on all day. <laughs> He's squirming away. He wants to leave. Why is she doing that? Because it pleases the Lord. Now, she could go, I can't believe I have to wash another glass. I can't believe that a meal came and there's dirty dishes again. I can't believe it. But you know what? If she does it as under the Lord, it's not doing it for the task. It's doing it for Christ. How about another one, girls? Be careful with your relationships with the men where you work. Be careful. It develops and can develop an intimacy that's very unhealthy. You can be friends, but make sure it's professional. Guard your heart from wrong thinking and meditating and rather meditate on right thinking. Guard your heart. When you start to get promoted at work, guard your heart from saying, you know what? I'm pretty good at this. This could be really good down the road. I hope there's that itch in your heart that's not being scratched to do what God wants you to do. And lastly, please, please, please hear this. Don't, let me say it this way, be careful of criticizing women who are working outside the home. If this is your conviction, I don't want you to go home if your mom's working and say, Mom, i got a tape. i got to send you because you're in sin. Don't do that. There's a way to discuss these things in a context that will lead to learning and submission, not argumentation and debate. Be careful. Develop your convictions. That's the bigger deal than developing everyone else's, okay? All right, guys, put your seatbelts on. Implications for young men. You're not scot-free in this. Implications for young men. Almost done. Gentlemen, watch your spending and your debt. Why? So you won't need your wife's income someday. Watch your spending and your debt. Some of you guys are working these incredible hours to buy this car that's going to rust and go away. Why are you spending so much money on that car now when you could drive a clunker for a while, save money, invest it, have money, work off your debt, and then you walk into marriage with money in hand, not money that's owed. Watch your spending and your debt so you don't need your wife's income to survive. How about this, guys? Train your mind and heart to value and shepherd this quality in women. I'll say that again. Train your mind and heart to value and shepherd this quality in women. What quality? Workers at home. You're talking to someone and they say, uh, you say, what's your, what's your major? Well, you know, I'm undeclared. Maybe English, maybe history, maybe something. Well, what do you want to be? I want to be a mom and a worker. Well, you don't get paid for that. What do you want to do that for? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the guys in our group took care of the girls in our group, maybe even by marrying them and helping them? Anyway, uh, <laughs> took care of the girls in our group by saying, that is wonderful. I value that. That's wonderful. I'd love to pray about that for you. Maybe we could go out and spend some time talking about your des- No, no, no. That's for a few weeks, okay? Come back to that. Guys, 
just like I told the girls, watch your relationships with women at work. Watch your relationship with women at work. You know what's funny about work? They always look nice. They always smell nice. They got these nice clothes on. Same for the guys, same for the girls. You gotta got your best foot forward. Be careful. Guard your heart. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Look for a woman who fears the Lord. And then lastly, we've alluded to this already. 1 Timothy 5, 8. 1 Timothy 5, 8. A man is to be the provider. If a man will not take care of his house, he's worse than an infidel, an unbeliever. So what? Be prepared to financially care for your family when you get married. Be prepared. You know, I always get so discouraged and sad when someone says, you know, we want to get married, but we're just financially we're not ready. Well, get ready now. Well, I'm not dating. That's good. Get ready now. It'll cost you money when you get started dating anyway. <laughs> you know, we really could spend, and I struggle with this all week, just to be vulnerable with you guys. We could spend six weeks on this one issue. I wanted to spend just a kind of a pop. I promise this has probably raised a lot of questions in some of your minds that I haven't answered. If you'll talk to some of the older gals in our group, I'm sure they can answer them. And if you'll talk to your shepherd, you're welcome to uh, call me or, or jot me a note, and I'd love to answer those. We can't answer every objection to every question, and that's not the issue. It's an issue of your heart, ladies. Don't fall victim to Satan's lies. He's going to continue to try to intimidate you with questions like this. Oh, come on. You think you should be using your talents, don't you? You're so gifted. Shouldn't be using that? You can be a witness at work with as excellent a woman as you are. Work is your ministry. What will you do if your husband deserts you or dies? You better have a career to fall back on. How about this? What about the fact that God's given me a desire for work? Shouldn't I go ahead and do that? Or think of... Satan is quick to do this. Think of all the money you could be making. Think of what you could get and have if both of you were working. David Nobel says this, Why do Christians so easily accept the inconsistencies of, of the world into their worldview? Listen, this makes so much sense to me. Listen to this. In this sense, the Marxists and the humanists are more consistent. There are no Marxist-Leninist theists. They don't mix their worldviews. There's no secular humanistic creationists. It's always the Christian who compromises portions of his worldview. Rarely ever is it the other way around. The Christian who trusts the Scriptures and therefore has access to the one worldview based on the eternal truth should be the first person to recognize the bankruptcy of secular religious views. Yet all too often, he's the first to embrace them. End quote. Girls, let me beg you and exhort you as your shepherd. Don't embrace the world's carrot out in front of you that's driving you. God says that the ultimate woman is a worker at home. I believe that's the highest calling of any human on a planet. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious truth. I pray for these dear women whose minds have been now exposed to your truth in this way, that they'll be encouraged and not left discouraged, that they'll long to be workers at home. And the questions, so many of them, I'm sure, have, have uh, risen in their minds. Help them to find counsel and work those things out. And I pray that you give the girls in our ministry, Lord, a heart that long to be wives and long to be mothers 
and at the same time wait patiently for you. And before their moms and before their wives, Lord, keep them faithful in their jobs. Keep them excellent in their education. Make them above reproach and lights of your gospel any place they're going to school or working. Thank you for your truth that is so clear, Lord, and that it cuts so, so quick to our hearts. Help us to repent based on what we've heard from you. In Jesus' name.